Men are built for the demands of life. The breadth of our shoulders bears the weight of responsibility in our homes. The depth of our voices projects strength to the world. And the length of our stride, our ambition, propels us toward career success. Man Up For Life is the coaching and speaking brand you need to reach the heights of your individual and organizational greatness. Responsibility, power, and ambition will cease to overwhelm you and begin to inspire you. To get started today, contact Demetrius Love at manupforlife at yahoo.com or at manupforlife across all social media platforms. Responsibility, power, ambition. Don't be overwhelmed. Be inspired. Start today. Thank me tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of the Motown Philly Podcast. I'm Tim Golden here with my co-hosts. What's going on? It's Jason Hall. What up, though? And Vita Star. Vita Star. Welcome. Welcome to episode 51. Vita and Jason, it is so good to be with you for this 51st installment of the Motown Philly Podcast. You heard it right, folks, for 51 weeks straight. Jason and I have not missed one week. We have consistently delivered content to you all that we believe is high quality and is as much of a good thing in your lives as it is in ours. So, Jason is the Motown in Motown Philly from Detroit, Michigan. I'm the Philly in Motown Philly from the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, PA. And Vita Starr, of course, is joining us from the city of Angels, Los Angeles, California. And we love to have Vita with us because she just makes us so much better. So, Jay, give us some gratitude, man. Tell the folk how grateful we are. Yo, guys, it's Jason Hall the Motown in Motown Philly what's going on but listen no we're really super excited about you guys being here always grateful for each and every one of you coming in each and every week new listeners old listeners and downloading and listening to us we have a Facebook group called the Motown Philly Facebook group feel free to sign up in that and each one of your comments that you have every every week and every day we'll be sure to um talk back to you but i just want to let you know that we are definitely grateful for you guys continue to rock with us we know podcasts are very um you know they're prevalent out in this world out in these podcast trees and the fact that you guys choose to rock with us we're super happy and excited about that i'm super happy and excited about this podcast thanks for vita showing up and showing us some love and on this podcast as usual so oh i'm we're always coming in here with grateful hearts because that just sets the tone like we ain't, we're not coming with with no pizzazz or hate we just coming here letting y'all know that we're coming we're approaching this podcast just like we want to approach life and being grateful for everything in the good and the bad and seeing the silver linings trying to encourage you guys just being happy that you are here listening to us and hopefully that we will you will hear something insightful that will change and inspire you so let's go all right folks you heard it there yes we are grateful and we're going to get right into our subject tonight so just a little brief recap this month we've been talking about movies we've been talking about black movies uh, black tv cinematic art which in, involved which includes both 
television and movies. Last week, we had a black filmmaker with us, Kevin Cameron. You remember him. Talked about his work as a writer and a producer. And, and the week before that, we had a discussion about what goes into a script and writing a script and all of those things. And this week, we want to close out the month of July with what we think is a really important topic in a, a film that all of us have seen. So spoiler alert, if you have not seen They Clone Tyrone, you might want to put this episode on pause and not listen to it until after you've seen the movie. So I'll get that spoiler alert out there first. Um, Jason and Vita and I have all seen the movie. And so what we'd like to do is try to maybe come full circle and put together the things that we've talked about this month in a conversation in this episode and talk about communication, connection, and community, how this worlds of the script that's fictional interacts with the world that we live in that's real and that whole interplay of reality truth versus fiction and then we'll have a discussion about how that impacts communication connection and community the type of film that they cloned Tyrone was and we're going to get into all of those things so stay tuned we're just sitting in your living room having a conversation with you eating some wings or some pizza and drinking whatever your favorite beverage may be for me in the summertime i like a tall cold glass of lemonade mm. or iced tea and i don't mean the twisted tea because you know i'm a i'm a teetotaler in these parts anyway so vita jason they clone tyrone now it's a movie starring jamie fox and i think it's an interesting movie because it's filled with social and political critique it is a movie that i think makes the social statements it makes political statements and i think it has a lot to tell us about communication connection and community so vita ladies first i'd like to start with you and have you give us your take on they clone tyrone and what you think it has to say about our themes of communication, connection, and community here at Motown Film. Take it away, well, Peter. Well, I think that it's it. That's a that's a that's such a broad question to answer that because I think there's so much in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think on the broad level, it was really about like connection in regards to the main characters I would say they had to learn how to connect with each other because uh, on they were kind of adversarial right um, mm-hmm. initially they had they had beasts with each other personally um, but they had to figure out how to work together to solve this much larger problem that was impacting their community right mm-hmm. so they had to communicate with each other they had to connect with each other to address the needs of the larger community and they had to be in tune with the community to see that there was a problem going on in the community that needed to be addressed but it all started off with something personal um 
so it's it's kind of so it's, it's so hard to because i know you said we can do spoilers but it's just hard because i also don't want to give too many spoilers because i do want people to watch it but let's just when people watch it by the time they were listening to this um there was so much in that movie that i want to touch on <laughs> so because i felt like me personally as far as me liking the movie i will say I'm not into sci-fi. I'm not into the style of movie in general. I'm much more of a documentary type of person. Um, so for me, it wasn't really something I, I would have normally watched. I only watched it because everybody kept telling me they wanted me to watch it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, so it's not, you know, it kind of reminded me of Jordan Peele um, and his style of movies. And I don't really like his movies. I don't mm-hmm. really care for it. I thought it was very preachy. I thought it was very messageful. Um, I thought it was very on the nose but I think that was purposeful but just because it's purposeful doesn't mean it's my type but I definitely think it hit on the needs of address I feel like it really hit on the need for um, unity being able to connect with community I thought it was also interesting that the people who would be considered reprehensible in our community were the ones that had to save the community Uh um I thought that was very interesting, which I think also l- lends to the concepts around that we have around respectability politics. Because the person that would have been the respectable person or the respectable Negro was also the one that was pro assimilation. Um, not just pro assimilation, he was actively pursuing this assimilation versus what they, you know, they had the saying in their assimilation versus annihilation, right? Um, and I thought that was very interesting. So, without, I want to give you guys space to also kind of ch- to give you guys uh, your perspectives. But I thought it really hit on uh, points of communication, connection, and community in in so many ways. And I and I'm sure there are other ways that I didn't even hit on. But um, I'll leave some room for you guys. Well, yeah. And Vita, you make a good point. And Jay, I'll come to. You. I'm going to come to you next. But Vita, you're right. It, I, I envision us doing, you know, maybe three or four rounds on this, right? So there's no way we're going to be able to get it all uh, in with one sort of answer. So you're, you're, you're very right about that. It's a very broad question. But I think that if we continue the discussion, we will all eventually touch on maybe not everything because there's as many different ways to interpret it work of art as there are people doing the interpretation so there's probably a lot of people who saw things in it that none of us saw and i'm sure each of us saw something that maybe another person among us didn't see so very good points peter jay what what are your thoughts on the on the movie it's funny um and thank you vita for sharing your points Uh, i love the fact of just drawing the the seamless line of communicating and understanding that there was conflict in the beginning of the movie between the primary characters which was the pimp um the hoe if you will and the drug dealer and they they had this you know they had they so they they had some they had common common things that they could relate to but they had to first be able to communicate or and which led to connection and and like Vita so eloquently said it allowed them to then form their own community because they're in a lot of ways they were uh, they were an unlikely bunch to come together but once they began to understand each other by having this necessary dialogue 
they then became their own little community inside that started like Vita said this is all what Vita said and I totally agree with that they then began to to then look you know outwardly and see hey this this thing is bigger than us now I'll say even though that happened I don't think that happened easily as they begin to work out what was going on it was basically the discovery so I really like the movie I found myself in the beginning of the movie bewildered though asking more questions like I'm the guy who not all the time but in those type of movies because that too resonates with me as well like I'm not necessarily so I'm a sci-fi um lover of movies but when they initially seem to have like I want to say baseless but not baseless we're talking about art here but it when it it was kind of irrational what was happening so I was <laughs> I was trying to get my bearings on what in the world am I watching and what is happening so I'm that person in the movies like yo what's happening now or what are they doing why did they do that and I had to kind of settle myself to say, all right, this is a movie. Let it evolve because it, you, they don't set the table. You know, sometimes movies do a really good job of setting the table and like bringing the storylines together. Well, it wasn't necessarily like that because it, I believe it was, of course, it was meant to kind of um, leave you to, okay, this is what happens, even though it's kind of, it's not so seamless it's kind of incongruent and then you started as the movie evolved you started to see the the congruencies of the movie which you know kind of put me at rest so i can then understand what the theme what was actually going on in the movie so i i did like the movie it, i would agree with vita it wasn't necessarily my cup of tea as far as a style but even in the midst of not necessarily saying this is my style I was doing my best job to appreciate it. So it really trumped what my style was because I understood that the theme of the movie was telling a bigger, was telling a, giving a bigger point and giving a greater picture to, to, you know, the overall point of the movie. And like you said, Tim, it's a work of art. And I think we, we can all draw different like ideas ideologies that they what they were trying to say um or trying to foretell but i i just believe that overall i i thought it was a good movie you know that's if for those of you guys who are kind of wondering about this movie this was was the movie that jamie fox got hurt or got sick in and i was also trying to look inside of the movie to see which you know you know was is was it, did Jamie Foxx have to go back in after getting sick because it, it was kind of, it's not I don't think it's ironic that he was he's you know Jamie Foxx came out maybe Friday Thursday or Friday and was like I'm better and then the movie came out I don't know if he had to do a couple more shots in the, in the show or whatever but you know I was trying to figure that out as well so overall Tim you know just on the surface generally I, I really I did like the movie it was an aha movie in certain points as far as learning how the story evolved and what was going on the things that they were revealing I thought it was going to be subtle 
I thought it was going to be a whole movie of subtleties that we would figure out and maybe we could express afterwards like hey this is what that meant but towards the middle of the movie Kiefer Sutherland's his his he just kind of blatantly said this is what this whole movie is about and this is what's happening right now which really gave clar- more clarity to what we were already picking you know what they were putting down we and we were picking up so that was my take it was a good it was a good movie overall I, I, I liked it a lot and it was very insightful well that's that's good so I I, I like what both of you said I, I'll take it this way I'm gonna look at the movie in terms of communication and connection and community i want to start with connection and there's a principle of connection that the film brought across nicely and vita you touched on this in your remarks and that principle is that is that connection quality connection will overcome conflict in the Mm. beginning of the film The pimp is at odds with the prostitute. The drug dealer is at odds with the pimp. Pimp. And they've got all these conflicts, but a crisis enabled them to connect in ways that overcame their conflict. Mm. And they overcame their conflict by joining forces together, going on a journey in which they saw things that if they went and told somebody, nobody would believe them. And what they came to recognize was that whatever conflict they had among themselves was nothing in comparison to the conflict that this these other forces had going on with them. And so I think the one of the principles I took from the movie was that connection can overcome conflict. Here's the other thing I took from it in terms of community. Communities are not static. Communities can change. Communities can shift. In fact, what made their community so dangerous was that from the food to the hair care products, to the bogus religion coming from the pulpit in the church, everything was designed to maintain the status quo and keep things as is. Mm. But the more they discovered, the more the community began to shift. And what's fascinating about the movie, in my view, was that the police were conspicuously absent from the movie. The folks who came, when they called in the Calvary toward the end of the movie, it wasn't police officers. They didn't go to the government. They didn't protest. They didn't demand any action from police departments. They didn't go to Congress and try to get legislative reform. They took up arms in their own interest. And the conflict that you saw that was overcome between those three characters was to me really a microcosm of the broader conflicts from within the black community that were resolved and that resulted in a high level of self-awareness and sense of responsibility so that nobody was relying on the police to come in and do anything. 
Nobody was waiting for anyone to come in and save the day. Everybody's conflict got resolved and everybody had a deeper connection because they realized they had a common enemy and they took responsibility for it, right? And so to me, when I when I look at the film and I look at those dynamics in it, and I have a, a lot to say, and I'm sure you do too, Vita, and you too, Jason, about the, the church itself mm-hmm. and the complicity of the church in preaching these narratives that aren't going to change anything. It's almost as though the church was shying away from conflict and that the church could learn from the pimp, the prostitute, and the drug dealer because they were able to negotiate their conflicts into a constructive synthesis that took the community to a higher level. And the church had no interest in doing that because the church was just an agent or arm of this other entity that was operating right beneath it. I thought that the physical imagery of right. that was very powerful, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. That the pulpit was pushed aside, right? It's mm-hmm. almost a disrespect. Like you're just you're just fake. Like mm-hmm. you don't even mean anything. And it's it tells me a lot about how people, you know, one of the things that church people get uptight about is profanity, right? Right. And studies have been done that show that people who, and I'm not saying that everybody should go around dropping F-bombs, but people who use profanity, uh, the use of profanity is an indication of honesty and authenticity. And what's interesting is that the church would look at the pimp, the prostitute, and the drug dealer as profane, but there was something brutally honest about their interactions with one another. And it's a lesson that the church can learn from, right? Because you didn't, you don't, nobody was hiding from their conflict, right? right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the drug dealer was out to get Jamie Foxx. He was trying to get get his money. right? And, and the prostitute was supposed to get out there and get, her, get money for him too. So nobody was hiding their conflicts. And I think the church was concealing so much. So. There's a lot there more to talk about. I don't know if anything I said will generate some more discussion, but those are my preliminary thoughts. And in terms of communication, I will just say, so in terms of connection, uh, good connection can overcome conflict and community does not, uh, good, I think quality communities are not static. They change and they shift over time and they get better over time. They don't. And my high school football coach used to say, you don't, you don't stay the same. And I think when you talk about institutions like the church or fast food or, you know, consumer driven products like the hair care products in the film and all of that, their job is to maintain and make more money. But you don't necessarily see that when it comes to community. So, and to me, the way to communicate that message, I thought was brilliant putting it in the mouths of people whose society would dismiss and like Avita said, not believe. So that's all I'm gonna say for now, but I'm eager to hear what you all have to say as we go for a second round on this. Well, I really like that point that you made about the the connection, basically overruling or overriding the conflict, Mm -hmm. right? Um, 
because I always say <clears throat> connection over compliance. And the reason why I always say that is because that's mm. it's it, that's good, looking Dita. for compliance is where the conflict often comes in is we want people to comply with what we want and to go our way and do the things that um, we value. Right. Um, and to give into what our, to our desires. And when we let that go for whatever reason, and in this case it was crisis, right? We had, we have a bigger mission. We have to let our beasts go. We have to move forward, whatever it is um, to get to the, the bigger picture here, right? Something bigger is going on. First of all, I thought I thought the motherfuckers got you. I thought they killed you, and you at my door right now, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so right. there's clearly something bigger happening. What what happened here, right? Um, I think that that's a really important lesson in anything, which is if there's something, there's a bigger crisis going on, which there always is in our community. Why are we having these internal beefs? that really amount to nothing why are we arguing about $200 dates right why are we arguing about all this goofy stuff why are we arguing about what Kiki Palmer has on at an Usher concert why are we arguing about these things that don't really matter when in reality we have a much bigger problem we have much bigger um, enemies we have much we have a much bigger situation at play that has us in these circumstances at each other's throats, right? That's what that's the, that's the other part of this, right? And not only is it happening here in our community, in this community, we're finding that this this is cloned, this is replicated throughout communities all across the country. Because notice that everywhere that these labs were, or these underground tunnels were, were in were in places. That exist in every black community across America. Churches, liquor stores, strip clubs, right? Um, wow. That wasn't an accident, right? And, and there was a proliferation of these sort of places across the country, right? Because at wow. the end of the movie, spoiler alert, um, we see a very much different place. It looks very similar to the West Coast, right? It gets a very LA vibe. But it was it looked exactly the same as the place we just left in the beginning of the movie, right? Um, with just a different hairstyle, <laughs> right? Definitely. And different music playing. Um, and then to the to, and the characters at the end even recognize, hey, that's the same. They're watching the news story of what just happened someplace else, and it's the same story. And I, I made me think of actually the crack epidemic, right? Like, how did it just so happen? that the same story is replicated in every black community across America. Like we just all just so happen to get addicted to crack all at the same time. How is that even possible? Mm-hmm. And all these young teenage black boys just all happen to learn how to whip up crack at the same time. They all just happen to have the same recipe all across America and every major city and every small town near those major cities that just all happened at the same. How on earth? In such a short period, and, and and none of these people, all in poor communities where none of these people have access. Rick Ross in Los Angeles couldn't even read. He hadn't been on an airplane, but somehow he doing the same thing that they doing in New York, that they doing in Atlanta, that they doing in Miami, that they doing in St. Louis. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> right? That's crazy. Uh, so I so that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I th- the thing is, so you say, how does that happen? And how things were set up, and it was also brought in, and it brought out in the movie, like right. the the method of communication was music. 
like it was transmitted through music like so well that was the method of the of getting people to um engage in the sort of numification and the and the sort of um hypnosis of, of something but i'm talking about being able to get this product to all these okay. communities you know what i'm saying not you just do you think so i totally get the numification but do you also think along with the numification messages are sent via music too as well as this as well as the numbing vibe is just like yo this is what we doing out in these streets and we we cooking up shit on the stove you know what i'm saying and we we burn it we, well yes but i guess what i'm saying is that part is a part of it but that part can't work the music part can't work without access like i can't i can't i mean all the i love to put it like this the music crack music trap music can't have an effect on me mm-hmm. personally it, di- it didn't have an effect on me in the same way as it has the kid who actually has access to it right gotcha, gotcha. i didn't have access to it i couldn't tell you where to where to get crack from i have zero idea right <laughs> yeah so I can listen to trap music and listen to that music and be motivated to just go to work and do my job, <laughs> right? Well, Versus a kid who listens to that music who actually has that in his neighborhood. So what I'm saying is, how did these communities also have access to that? How did Rick Ross, and he tells his story about how he got introduced to crack, right? Somebody literally just drove up to him, some guy from another country rolls up to him and teaches him this shit. Mm. Right, yeah. and we know now that wow. though that, and we know now. I mean, based off of the information that's come out within the past few years, that this was a plot, and we do feel, and that there's more evidence to show that the government, this was an undercover, you know, underground operation to fund a government pro- a program. Right, I think it was the Contras or whatever, trying to fight communism or whatever the hell they were doing. Right, mm-hmm. so we have more evidence of that now, but. The fact that our communities were the ones that were experiment, mind you, black communities were also experimented upon in various other ways. We do know about um, in St. Louis when they're spraying DDT all throughout St. Louis, right? So black communities have been experimented on. So, but what they showed in that movie were things that have actually happened. So, what I'm, I just gave crack the crack epidemic as an example of one of those experiments that have actually happened. So, the music part to me is second is the second part of is the second step. That's how we get the motivation, but you have to already have that crack in the communities first, right? The experiments have, the stuff has to already be there. I can't, I can make all the gun music I want, but if you don't got no guns, that music, that music ain't ain't gonna motivate me to go do shoot nothing because I ain't got no gun. Right. Wow. Wow, Vita. That's, that's strong. So I tell you what, folks, what I want to do on the other side of this break is pick up on this notion of cloning or illicit reproduction and the way that theme showed up so prominently in they clone tyrone we're gonna pick up with that on the other hello motown philly family you all need to know that this podcast is sponsored by the speaker's mechanic the speaker's mechanic is a business enterprise of my co-host jason hall who is a communication skills coach and he's also published author of a book called a vocal owner's manual he works with professionals who are looking to improve their communication skills and i guarantee you that if you work with him 
he will improve yours. Check out his book on Amazon. Again, it's called A Vocal Owner's Manual, and you will be certain once you check him out to improve and get better because here at Motown Philly, that's what we're all about. And that's what his brand, The Speaker's Mechanic, is all about. Thanks so much for tuning in and thanks to The Speaker's Mechanic for this sponsorship. Hello, folks, and welcome back to episode 51 of the Motown Philly podcast. You are here in your living room with Jason and Vita and Tim, and we just sitting around, got our feet up on the ottoman or on the desk or whatever is in front of us, and we just chopping it up. And we're talking about some good art this week, folks. We're talking about a movie that just came out recently on Netflix. They cloned Tyrone. Again, spoiler alert. Stay we're not gonna give away too much, but you might you might get a spoiler if you're listening. So if you don't well, if you want to watch the movie first, put us on pause and then come back and check out the discussion. But you know, just before the break, I, I was thinking about this idea of cloning, right? And cloning as a form of reproduction. If you think of human reproduction, the idea is that a man and a woman love one another and they come together and they, through the act of sexual intercourse, they produce something in their image, right? They produce a, a baby. And this baby then, of course, you know, is raised and hopefully grows up in a good environment and, then that child will grow up and then that child will do the same thing with someone else, right? And so we have human reproduction. And I think that theoretically, we would like it to work in that way. We would like the pleasure of, of intercourse to be connected to the responsibility of parenthood. And we'd like to maybe see that, you know, play out over and over again in ways that produce a healthy culture and a healthy society. But in the, in the movie, what I saw was this idea, and Vita, you touched on it so nicely. How is it that the same set of circumstances is reproduced in almost every major American city? I mean, in, in Philly, in the mid eighties, crack was everywhere. I'm sure it was everywhere in Detroit, yep. Jason. And I know it was everywhere in LA. Now, as as you pointed out, Vita, you know, I didn't know where to get crack cocaine from. I did have a couple of friends who sold it and, you know, ended up spending some time in prison, but I you know, I didn't I didn't deal with any of that stuff. So I didn't really know how to get it, but all of us were certainly around it. And so I'm interested in if we take the the human instance of reproduction as a as a moment of of sort of noble noble beauty in which we are trying to share love what happens when forces unknown to us come together and they don't want to share love but they want to consolidate power at the expense of other people right instead of an event that's noble it's an event that's evil right? that has a certain level of moral evil to it where forces will infiltrate a community long enough to be able to even manipulate them into becoming complicit in the reproduction without them maybe fully realizing it. 
And I think the beauty of the film for me in that way was that you had these forces that were interested in, in cloning people and that is in reproducing people uh, not so much out of the interest of love and sharing and care, but out of the interest of making sure that we can hold on to power and the more we can do this, the better. And so I thought that theme of cloning was almost a critique of what we get in science. Because in science, they talk about cloning animals, right? Uh, they talk about cloning sheep. What was the sheep's name? I forget the name of the sheep, but they they cloned some sheep and now they're trying to see if they can clone humans and you know all that kind of stuff. But in the movie, it was a cloning of black people. And to me, that spoke to the, uh, the wealth gap, the achievement gap. In other words, our job is to make sure that black people remain in an inferior position in just about every meaningful social category. Income, education, healthcare, you know, we're gonna do everything we can to basically create a caste system, a system of racial caste. That's what Michelle Alexander calls it in the new Jim Crow. We're gonna create a system of racial caste so that we just keep reproducing the same kind of person over and over and over again. And we're gonna use the, the institutions, institutions like the black church to do it. And they're gonna do our bidding. I, I think that to me, that theme of cloning was, was prominent too. And the powerful part about all of that for me was that the only way to really communicate a message like that is through art, is through the movies, right? Because you try to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with somebody about that, it's going you, you're going to get lost and it's not going to be effective, but everybody can appreciate a movie and talk about it. And that's what we're doing right now. So I wanted to, I wanted to put that out there. You know, Tim, you always talk about this theme, especially over this past, over this past month, talking about the theme of art imitating real life. And mm -hmm. this, mm -hmm. this movie was another exhibit, if you will, of that very same thing. I mean, of course, there were, there were exaggerations, if you will, and that's the creative art, the liberty that is there when you have um, this creative space where you get to share your own interpretation of what's going on. But it was definitely overtones and undertones of, of art imitating uh, life. And uh, you brought out a lot of great points about some things that I was just not really oblivious. I was kind of oblivious to in, in with the story, not having like police and things of that nature is another thing that they didn't also have. But going to the point of cloning, like I think the cloning as you guys, you know, as you watch it, the cloning of the individuals that were in the community, the thing that was most curious to me or not curious or more impactful to me, like the clones were for me, the leaders or the most influential people in the spaces of the neighborhood in the spaces, you know, uh, that, where people had a lot of influence, which was the drug dealer. You know, he had, a, these were powerful ind individuals in the community, very, inf very influential figures. The, the cloning of 
the the pimp you know very powerful uh he controlled the hoe if you will um the like preacher the the preacher thank you thank you mm-hmm. the preacher for me was probably vita the one of the more powerful ones because you know they for sure had an audience you know every sunday you know every week and you wonder we often talk about the the hood or we talk about communities that are urban having a liquor store like you said vita and and a church on almost seemingly every corner like wow that is that is curious um and i I talked with him just before we really we hopped on the podcast is the thing is i i kind of said the the preacher had lyrics and if you listen to him as he began to speak he said something to the point of Victor was shot and killed the other day. Vita, I'm not sure if you picked that up. He was shot and killed in his driveway. And literally the next verse or the next line of what he was kind of preaching about was like, but it's okay. It's going to be better in the morning. And it was just like, and then they started like going into a dance, an emotional, you know, kind of a, you know, because he yeah. gave a good word after that. Like, well, let's just let, run past the fact that Victor was just shot and let's feel good about it because it's going to be better in the morning. Well, he said, yeah, I, but I don't want to gloss over that scene because that's actually my favorite scene. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> that whole that whole church scene, um, right. even though that again, I, you, I, I know you like that. It was um, blatant and on the nose. I don't like that it was blatant on the nose, but I do like that scene, even though it is blatant on the nose. Because mm, um, okay. I, I, I thought it was, I liked that it was so relatable. Because again, to the cloning point, it is so replicated in so many black churches. Mm-hmm. He starts off with, um, you, you can't pay your gas bill. It don't matter. Your light bill, lights about to go off. It don't matter. Remember? And he says, right. son got shot in front of the Dairy Queen. It don't matter. And then he goes into Victor got shot in his driveway. Little bill can't all. Then, then you know, so, and then he go into then they go into back that ass up. Right. Um, the church starts the the the, the um. The band, the church band starts pe- playing. You, at first, at first you're not sure that's what they're playing until they actually go all the way into it. Then you're like, wait a minute, is that back that ass up? Uh, <laughs> and they were backing that ass. Like, this one couple yeah. women in the middle of the aisle, they were twerking. I was just like, <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. But I wanted to really kind of show that scene. And, and, and then remember, and remember the powder was in the grape juice that they were using for communion yes laced is that sugar in real life like what is what is the right. thing you know what i'm saying that gets people giddy the the fried chicken and scene and all, all like the movie it just had it, it was the movie was laced with things that the culture kind of dives into and it can be the culture also gets numb to the fact i mean like vita that scene in the church was very powerful because this these pre the preacher is being cloned to give you know to continue to keep our people or the people who were church which was a significant amount of people in a certain mindset of numbness if you talk about it's like it's, it's numb how can we numb, if you will, in every environment, whether whether it's the whether it's the the product that we put in our head, whether it's the food that we eat, 
whether whether it's the religion or the Christianity that we're taking in, it was all laced with something that would it, keep us in a certain type of way. Whether complacency. It's, it was yes. a, it was the complacency. But I, I think I think they each had their own sort. I think with religion, it was definitely complacency. I think with the relaxer, it was uh, with the perm. I think it was uh, about changing who you are. Right, mm-hmm. not being happy with who you are, your mm-hmm. natural state. Remember the the um, the prostitute character. I forgot her name. Um, I this Tiana Paris has played the character. She, she had her Afro wig the whole movie for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think somebody even said something to her about using the the, the product, and she said no. But it's uh, it's, it's it's about and, and this was the, the other thing that was the other uh, location in the in the movie was a salon, right? Mm-hmm. This idea, this place where you go to change who you are, you change who, what you look like to try to assimilate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now I think that was really kind of like that message, and then it was you know the nutrition part was definitely the fried chicken, right, mm-hmm. and the cereal. That was the other thing that they put it, it was boxes of cereal that you saw they were putting the right. this product in. And you know, and, and that's clear that that's targeting children, right? They don't say that blatantly, but that's who, who usually eats these cartoon packages of of cereal, right? right. Um, but it was, yeah. So I, I thought it was very clear, like it was about like numbification through the music, and also a, I think brainwashing to change your behaviors. Um, that because you what you brought up, Jason, and then um, but this idea of numbing and complacency, keeping you where you are, like you like you like you were just saying, it's definitely. Mm-hmm. Keep repeating your cycle right keeping you lost and a lot of this lends to um i listen to I, I, I love listening to the old speeches of dr amos wilson he talks a lot about this um basically it has to like you have to be made crazy you have to be made crazy in order for you to operate in this white supremacist system wow you cannot well, be sane and operate in the system like crazy may either made crazy or like or just or Below the frequency of consciousness, of consistent right. consciousness. Exactly, exactly, and that's exactly the point that he makes. And I always, I always recommend people listen to a lot of his work or read his work because he talks. He's a psychologist. So he was a psychologist. He's dead now, but he was mm-hmm. a psychologist, black psychologist. And that's a lot of what he talks about. And I would even say, even the uh, original um, Fontaine character, the doctor who was the scientist who <clears throat> created the clones, mm-hmm. and he talks a lot about it, the assimilation. He even talked. I would say, Doctor Amos. Wilson would even talk about him as being the black face of white supremacy, right? This guy who was supposedly successful, who's the scientist, who's the guy who made it, but he's aiding white supremacy because of his own personal pain, because of his own way of thinking that this is well, I have to help. This is this is what's going to help, but it's not helping. No, right? He's creating. He's actually helping to create more of the problem. So he's become this sort of black face on white supremacy. So, um, yeah. I, I, I want just to kind of tack on to what you were saying, Jason. Mm, that's, that's that's good. Yeah, that, those are those are really powerful points. You know, I'm I'm thinking about a statement from Dr. King when he said, "True peace is not the absence of tension or conflict; it is the presence of justice." And when you think about that statement and you compare the brutal honesty and authenticity and sincerity of the relationships of the main characters in the film, which took place completely outside of the church. Hmm. And you contrast that 
with the we're not going to rock the boat status quo kind of theology that took place in the church mm. i think that's uh that is a critique of the black church that needs to be discussed a lot because there are people i mean in the scriptures people got mad at jesus because he ate with prostitutes Mm -hmm. And he spent time around people who society would consider to be unsavory characters. Tax collectors. And tax collectors, right. And publicans and... Fishermen who sat around cussing. Yeah, yeah <laughs> sat around cussing and, and drinking, probably drinking some wine or whatever. You know, getting drunk. And, but Jesus hung around there. He gravitated more toward them than he did toward the religious elites of his day. Right? And I think that says a lot because you have relationships and I put relationships in scare quotes, if you could even call them that. In, and Vita and Jason, I think we kind of touched on this before in other episodes, mm -hmm. how the, the last place that you're gonna find honesty and sincerity, relatively speaking, is in church, among mm -hmm. church folks. Mm -hmm. And the whole the whole discourse in the church, the statement about somebody being killed, but it's going to be all right. You can't pay your bills, but it's going to be all right. No, it isn't going to be all right. Mm, it's not. See, it's not. that's the point. It's not going to be all right. In other words, Jamie Foxx's character as the pimp had more of an interest in getting his money than people in the church have an interest in not worrying about and there's like i ain't gonna worry about paying my bills jamie fox was worried about paying his bills mm -hmm. right uh -huh. and i mean you say what you want about this you know and see that's the thing it's easy to be an armchair moralizer and sit back and identify people with labels and call them bad people but what makes the church so dangerous is that you can conceal your immorality in a veneer of spiritual goodness and you look good on the outside but on the inside you're rotten because you don't want to rock the boat but that's not going to bring about a just world justice comes through tension and conflict and conflict can be overcome with authentic connection and sadly there's too little of that i think in black churches so to me, even more than the fast food, the fast food and the and the, the chicken and the, the beauty salons, and I like what you said, Vita, places where you go to become someone other than who you really are, right? As I was watching the movie, Vita, I thought a lot about India Irie's classic song, I Am Not My Head, right? And how she's trying to explain, you know, you can't reduce me to a hairstyle or what I look like. And that goes to your earlier point about why are we arguing about these dumb things when we have this we have these much larger problems that we have to tend to so i just think again you know the, the fried chicken and the, the the perms and all the beauty stuff that has its place but for me i don't think there's any institution and i'm i don't want to get in trouble when i say this the black church is a two-edged sword on one hand it can be liberatory, but on the other hand, 
it can be a force for maintaining the status quo. And I think that's what that movie showed showed us. At least it, I saw that a lot in that movie. Tim, to to, to add on to that, and, and Vita brought it out, like the, the scene of the church could have probably been the most, you know, probably the more pivotal scene of the entire movie like as far as or the most profound scene it, it had me to the point of after watching the movie going back to watch some Jimmy Bald James Baldwin and and understanding James's story when you know he was a 14 year old preacher understanding what he was doing and I mean, Tim, you can really explain that story. It's what can it, break that story down for those who've never really understood what sure. James learned about the church at a very young age, the age of 14. As to why, like what, how this movie has that correlation to it. You, you, you say it so well, as far as kind of what the, what James came to, to understand. So, young. right, right. Well, James Baldwin talks about this and, and Vita, I know you understand this really well too, because of, of your background in the black church, that when he was a kid growing up in Harlem, that he was, he was put in front because he was able to speak and he was able to preach. And he said he was able to get people to come forward and give money and throw money in the collection plate. And he said he got so good at it, he would just get up there and say anything and people would come up and they would give money. And he got to the point where he said, I can't do this anymore because all I'm doing is exploiting people. And then he said, you walk out to church and the conditions around the church haven't changed. And the church isn't doing anything transformative. And so that was a moment where he said he had to stop doing it. He said his conscience wouldn't allow him to do it anymore because he was basically just exploiting people. And and when you think about the, the movie, right, that's kind of what was happening. In fact, in James Baldwin's short story called Sonny's Blues, there's a scene in which he sees street pe- people doing street ministry i don't know if y'all did this in your church when you were growing up vita but you would maybe go out and somebody with a couple sisters would have a tambourine and you know brother would go out there he would evangelize and he would tell people to give give, give their lives to jesus and this and that and they would sing hymns and you know and then they would go back to the church and give testimonies or test the lion, not testifying. They lied. Some of them came up and gave his life to the Lord. Well, James Baldwin is describing a scene where uh, the narrator of this story sees these street preachers and they're singing this hymn called The Old Ship of Zion. And the lyrics to the hymn are, it's the old ship of Zion. It saved many a thousand. And the narrator in the story says, they're out there singing this song And the old ship of Zion they're talking about hasn't saved anybody. Hmm. He writes, it hasn't even saved them. And I know it hasn't saved them because I know who they are. I know where they live and I know how they live. Hmm. And so it's a very powerful critique of a certain type of black Christianity that passes for legitimate in our community, but 
ultimately, as the movie showed, I think, is is at best suspect and at worst something that is entirely complicit in maintaining the status quo. Yeah, I think that's um very a very insightful point. Um because I think that's one, I definitely do relate to that. I, I personally, um, our church didn't do it as a church to do be a street preacher, but we did have people in our church that would do street mm. preaching sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely seen that. Um, but just that idea that um, this church or this space is going to save you when I'm watching these people who still go back to their houses in the projects, <laughs> you know, Um <laughs> Or I've spent the night at their houses and they dealing with the, you know, we're sleeping, we're all of us sleeping on the floor or it's like, you know, five of them in a, you know, one bedroom apartment, um, just like, you know, we were, <laughs> you know, or whatever. So it's like, um, I've, I've definitely seen that, experienced that. And I'm thinking about how, you know, you're preaching to other people how God is going to save you, how God is going to prosper. And we grew up in pros- under prosperity preaching where God's going to, you know, multiply you, you know, and this goes back to like, even the, in the movie, you know, what Jason pointed out, you know, the sun's going to shine tomorrow. It's always about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Today you give tomorrow. God's going to bless you. Um, or this mm-hmm. idea of complacency. Yeah. You know, just stay loyal to, to the Lord, stay loyal to God, keep giving. And, you know, yeah, your light bulb's going to go off, but you know what? Keep giving. Um, yeah, your things suck, but you know what? God's going to bless you. God's taking care of you. Be complacent with your circumstances. Um, cause it don't matter. You got Jesus. As long as I got King Jesus. Right. Um, and I think when I'm watching, I think as you know, when you're watching this movie, it's interesting how there's that critique there. There's this is showing this space that's supposed to be for good or how many of us see as positive is actually also part of the problem or could be seen as part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found to be interesting is when I was, when I went onto social media, I saw a very different conversation happening. I saw mm-hmm. people trying to point fingers solely at just like these, you know, the drug dealers, the gangsters, the, you know, uh, prostitutes and saying that, well, you know, in fact, I, I think I can pull up the tweet <clears throat> and read it because I, countered it and I realized that the people don't really I thought like I thought people didn't really understand the message um as much as they mm. thought they did and it was funny to me because people were very hyper about the messaging and I think they even missed the point um but this person said I'm not gonna say who they are this person said so let me make this clear for the ones who keep missing the message of the movie very snarky as you see mm-hmm. uh, you are the clone. The movie has nothing to do with Jamie Foxx being cloned. The movie is about you. All you drug dealers, scammers, gangsters, pimps, hoes, and hood rats. You are the clones. You're just the carbon copies of the same stereotypes placed in neighborhoods all across this country. You're allowed to thrive because what you're because what you're doing to the community keeps the property values low and the whites out, which allows the powers that be to experiment freely on our communities without fear of harming their own. You are the clones. You destroy your own living conditions for little to no real financial gain at the expense of your own families due to lack of self-esteem and knowledge of self. 
you are the clones. You can't see past your own block or your own hood because you have been programmed to be short-sighted to keep you from seeing far enough to the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that you are the clone. Notice how Tyrone wasn't even a character in the whole story. Tyrone was the clone at the end that you saw himself on the news after the truth was finally revealed. You are Tyrone. Also notice the whole hood had to finally come together to prevail. Please tell me that didn't that this didn't completely go over y'all head. My people suffer of a lack of knowledge. The real question is how long though Tyrone? So this person clearly has a blue check. That's why they have a long ass tweet. Mm-hmm. But who was it? you can't tell us who it was. V. This person. Come on, Vita. Okay, we know. I no. He only has seven hundred and twenty six followers. <laughs> but uh, his name is Fallon. One four four goes by. He missed, he missed the whole point of the movie. Exactly. For one thing, the fact that he says you are the clone, and then proceeds to call us all drug dealers, scammers, and gangsters, pimps, hoes, and hood rats, lets me know. First of all, you think the majority of people in the hood are these people? It's already problematic. Right. Like most people aren't that in the in the hood, right? Number yeah. one. Number two, the movie clearly was not pointing the finger at to just those people right like you guys pointed out the church was being critiqued right and I pointed out uh, it, when I responded to this person that it, it also was a critique of educated assimilationists right it was also about the nummification through entertainment right it, was a, it wasn't just about pointing fingers at these people the same people who eventually ended up saving the community because remember the pimp the prostitute and the drug dealer also went and got the shooters of the community to come and be warriors and free right. people too right mm-hmm. so it was bigger than whatever he's talking about. This person really, I don't even think they understood the message. And it wasn't about pointing fingers and blaming. It was about looking at the picture as a whole, right? These people were also, and also I realized this person didn't even look at this, what created these people in the first place. You become a scammer because you're hungry. That You become a drug dealer because you're hungry, right? You become a prostitute because you're hungry, right? These aren't, um, jobs and professions you go into just because you're like, hey, you know what? I think I'm going to go sell my body right. for fun. That's right. not something, I mean, maybe right. those middle class rich white girls do that, but that's not why most people in the hood do that, right? right. Or, hey, Everybody, I think I'm going yeah, to be a pimp. Right. Every, I dated a drug dealer before, right? A former drug dealer. And you know why he became a drug dealer? Because he was 16 and homeless. That's why he became a drug dealer. That was the only way he could find a way to eat. Right, mm-hmm. I used to work with uh, girls who were uh, sex trafficked. Right, mm-hmm. I worked with prostitutes before, and they got sex trafficked. I, the girl who used to do my hair was sex trafficked by the age of six. Her mother sold her in a prostitution at six. Sold her to oh. a pimp at six years old. Right, oh so these aren't oh. circumstances people just wake up and these aren't. You know what I'm saying? So people, when people make these kind of statements, I think they really believe these are just lifestyle choices. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and yeah. and it really bothers me that we're not yeah. looking at the systemic racism and oppression that leads to these circumstances. This isn't just people who wake up and say, hey, I don't think I want to go destroy the community today. <laughs> right? And, and that's because, as you pointed out, Vita, we never ask the question why. And we never, we see people in certain roles that we find contemptible but for reprehensible, but we never ask why are they doing that? Like, what would drive her to do that? Because if you ask that question, 
as you just so nicely pointed out, now you have to now you now you are creating tension and conflict, which can lead to a more just world. This is why I, I think I told you this, Rita, off off air or privately in our in our personal conversations that you are a philosopher. Right, and you're a philosopher because you ask that question. Why? Plato said philosophy begins in wonder, and Aristotle says the person who knows why the stove is hot and why you shouldn't touch it has a superior knowledge to the person who knows just not to touch it. So when we talk about philosophy, right, we're talking about this business of reasons and why things happen. And this is part of what made Socrates so dangerous in ancient Athens was because he went around asking people who were reported to know what they were talking about. And he was like, you really don't know what you're talking about. And I'm going to ask you a series of questions to see if you really do know. And then he got that got him in trouble, right? Because when we ask those questions and go beyond the surface. Why is this person a pimp? Why is this person a prostitute? Why is this person a drug dealer? Now we're moving beyond the church scene. Now we're moving to a level of conflict that can lead to deeper connection and a healthier community. Now the community's on the verge of being changed because once we understand why things are the way they are, we can then work to prevent those reasons from occurring and have a better, more just world. But that's that re that path requires so much work that people are unwilling to do. Like I couldn't believe that tweet as you were reading it. I'm thinking to myself, this person has missed the entire point of the movie. So that's that's very powerful. Yeah, I I, I think. Um just kind of leaning into what you were saying like when you look at the entire movie like people had to have hard conversations in order to start moving past where they were but when you, when you so when you think about the like the general idea of the movie you know Vita the numbification that was happening when things were jolted where people can then have some level of lucidness what do we do in this lucid uh, this lucid area in space and and the then the question should and could be able to come you can see when it came into the three main characters they had that conflict but they were willing to sit there and deal with it you guys remember when um fontaine the main character or the drug dealer he found out he was the clone and he found out that this there was a whole thing conspiracy that was going on and he wanted to tap out but your girl came to him and she confronted him because he was like he wasn't trying to deal he was just like yo this is too much for me to handle he was he came he became insular and he was kind of thinking it was about him and she challenged him and she you know she came to his house and was like yo like you not doing this is 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 you not being who you you know you're not be, you're not showing up as your best self and you know called him a few names and left or whatever but she was in the most she was at, at best trying to motivate him to understand you were you were 
hot on the case of trying to understand what was going on you found out it was it was a challenge and you then backed away but later he came to himself and was like yo this i need to i need to press in this conflict and and stay in the dialogue of saying what is going on here and how can we figure this out together not just me and when it comes to each one of those segments of of the society in that particular culture in that in that neighborhood if you will like they all had to have the conversation as you can see um vita you mentioned like the guys who had arms the guys who had the guns the, the gangsters like even they had to have converse hard conversations about what was happening and even and even when they were trying to come together at the end it was just like you know it was it was kind of comical because your boy kept you know he had to get shot and then but then he had to like rehearse and go through the lines of of and it was it was it was funny but they had to have this dialogue in order to move somewhere and tim you know talking about the church and how the resistance of having that dialogue it, it could be so it can be so obvious and so painfully obvious that certain dialogues that need to be had um, can just so very, in a, in a lot of different communities, just in the church can just be overlooked, and and the church can often be separated, a whole separate community than the community. You know what I'm saying? That it in, in which the community that it tries to uplift is like, you, know, you just there. But you're not really trying to connect And connect comes through that That hard tough conversation Tim and you and I often talk about you Gotta have that hard conversation And there have to be multiple and you gotta stay there And try and, and, try and um, Find some type of resolution Even if not that day just continue to have it Right because Dr. King Was right the absence of Peace is not true peace Is not the absence of tension or conflict It's the presence of justice and in order to get to that more just space, you have to negotiate tension and conflict. But for a lot of people, that's too much work. What do you think, Rita? Funny that you guys talk about conflict. And I, well, I, I definitely um, agree with Jason's point as far as the conflict and the conversation and the, ten and the hard conversations that the characters were having in the film. One of the critiques I have of the movie is I don't think it really had real hard conversations as far as with the audience. Mm. I think mm. I think they I think it was very safe. Mm. I think in regards to they were talking about things that most black people would agree with. Mm. I think these are typical conversations. I think we talk about, you know, what's in our food. I think we talk about how, you know, the drug dealers and the problems in our community. I think we talk I think we I think we've even gotten to the point where we challenge the church. Right. I mean, the Pew Research studies have shown now that black millennials are challenging the church and are leaving the church at higher rates than ever. Right. Um, at a higher rate than any other group and a higher rate than any other generation. Um, black millennials in particular. Um, so for me, I feel like, you know, the critiques that they had weren't things that black people would generally be against. I think for the most part, it was like, well, yeah. It was just a creative way to talk about it. Um, but mm. I think for me, the hard conversations would be challenging some of the things that many of us still look to, like the education system. I think while there was the critique of the educated assimilationist, there wasn't a critique of the education system as a whole. 
I think we, because I think we still do believe to some degree in the education system as being our our liberation. Um, so that's something I would have liked to have seen a little bit more um, of a critique on. I think that I think that you know one of the things that I, I'm a big believer in is if you're gonna get if you want to get me to think if you're gonna be kind of preachy and messagey. Get, do something that hasn't been done to Make me think of something Challenge my thinking about something that we don't typically think about Challenge my thinking in something that We don't talk about How about the way that we think about things like black history Right um, I, I love listening to for example Tim I love the way that you talk about The civil rights movement and Brown versus Board Because you talk about it in ways that Are much more nuanced than how most people Have talked about it right mm. Um in, in regards to desegregation and what our actual movements were versus the way we've been taught about it in school, right? Like our goal mm-hmm. was to be around white people when that wasn't really the goal initially, right? right, um, right that right. was more of a co-opted thing or a thing that we had to do in order to win uh, the certain uh, cases, right? Um, but not necessarily what the goal was. Um, and, and I think sometimes we don't have those kind of conversations, right? Why aren't we having and even and even you know I've been listening to this podcast or I just finished this podcast about Pam Greer and black exploitation movies and things like that and it was even interesting looking at like the fact that they use sort of this black exploitation sort of concept um, and black exploitation movies themselves are very controversial right um, even the idea that um, you know we have these movies that uh, this way of telling stories that were very campy very um uh very uh over the top but also sort of only told stories a certain way right um only told stories of the hood a certain way and some people took a lot of offense to that the NAACP came out out against that Cecily Tyson came out against that right um <clears throat> Excuse me. A lot of people um, had issues even with that entire concept of why are these the only stories being shown? And I, the fact that they clone Tyrone used that, I would have liked to have maybe even seen some sort of conversation around that to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, not that that's definitely a bad thing that they didn't. I'm just saying, to me, it could have been a little bit more thought provoking. If you're going to make, if you're going to be. If you're going to make a movie that's supposed to be thought-provoking, really make me think. Take me in a different direction. Take me to a place that's not the typical. To me, those were very safe. Talking about relaxers. I think we've got... I mean, we have black women wear their hair natural now. Cream. I, I think there was a time when you couldn't have a conversation about natural hair. I think that's long gone. I think the two, I think the 2010s wiped that out, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, that's not so uncommon anymore, right? Um, I think, yeah. So I just feel like I would have liked to have seen them go in a different direction, or at least throw something in that would have also been like, "Damn, I didn't think they would have addressed that," you know? Wow. Well, yeah. Do you That's think tough, when you tough. think about the audience, Vita, the audience? Um, are you thinking about the audience as you know it being? the black culture or the audience being like just anybody who would find this this uh, this particular movie at this presentation you know to be interesting like white culture as well like or who do you think like when it comes to the messaging maybe a different messaging 
do you think it should have been like directed at us you know hardcore at, at, at a certain demographic as opposed to another one um i don't i mean i think it was it? pretty blatantly directed to black people i mean i, I think because i think the, the conversations were definitely directed to black people but um who i mean even if it wasn't i think still only using the things that black people are already talking about isn't taking it into a new direction because even if even if this is for an audience that's just interested in the things black people talk about these are things you can find easily these aren't these aren't things that are hard to find these are conversations we've been having for the past 100 years you know yeah yeah these are these are the conversations we've been having and i think they clone tyrone gave a yet another iteration of how we talk about these things artistically right how we portray them and how art really affects us in in our everyday lives you know i think that as we sort of wrap up this month right and look back on what we've done and we look at scripts and and writers and actors and how writers and actors work together and you know Vidu, jason and i have been talking about how writers are almost more important than the actors but they don't really get paid anywhere near what actors get paid which as i understand it is one of the major issues in the writer's strike in hollywood right is this idea that these people who are creating this art are getting paid far less than the people who stand in front of the camera and act it out so that's a that's an interesting thing to consider as as we think about the power of those performances because i thought the acting in the movie was good and the writing may not have been you know everyone's genre or everyone's cup of tea but nevertheless to concoct i mean for me i'm with you vita i'm not really a science fiction person either but i think the creativity of this script and what it took to put this unseen force in all of these common places in the black community i mean i just have a real appreciation for screenwriting and the what it took to come up with this story and it may have been sort of sci-fi and and kind of futuristic but i just uh i don't know i was really impressed i'm really impressed by anyone who could write a good story and i thought this was a, a really highly creative way of talking about the social and political problems that we face in the black community i was i was really impressed by that you know to the writer's strike and and funny enough that now that not funny but the actors even joined in because they're actually not getting paid as much as we think they are either especially with things mm. going digital mm. um the actors even joined especially background actors and you know a lot of the actors who um no, we a lot of we, we think of actors, we think of the stars. But we forget about the people that are, um, you know, they might get small roles in in multiple things, and that's that's how they make their living. Um, and they're not getting paid that much, especially with things going digital. People aren't getting the pay that you know you would normally get if things were on television. But the thing about the writers and actors or whoever else, I don't care how good it is, I don't care how bad it is. You did the work, you should be getting paid. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> you know period That's right. and if it's doing numbers and people are getting are eating off of your work and getting more money off of your work you should be getting a cut of that period and that's just the fact whether or not i think is good whether or not i think is quality is completely irrelevant you did the work and people are showing up people are watching it people are streaming it whatever it is you should be getting your cut and i think that's just what's fair um and for this film you know i'm hoping the people who are part of it are getting their money um, I know Netflix has made a lot of cuts. I had a friend of mine who worked in post-production. She was a post-production supervisor. She got laid off a lot. Netflix made a lot of layoffs um, within the past year or so. Um, so I know a lot of people are, you know, really not doing too great over there. Um, but I do hope that, you know, the people who worked on this film are getting their money. Um, I know there was a lot of big names here as far as the acting goes. I thought the acting for the most part was really good. I thought John Boyega did amazing. I did not know that man could act like that. To be honest with you, was it, was, just, always, was it just me, or he had like he his acting had some, you know, some resemblance of like he really, especially in the beginning of the movie, he kind of went into himself, and it was just like, yo, I feel a little little Denzel vibe. I'm not saying he's Denzel. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he's but. It's just like he he tried his best to embody, and that was a comedy at the at the end of the day. But he did his best to embody the character. I think he did a great job. I think he did a yes. He definitely embodied the character. I think I didn't even you know what's so funny. I forgot it was him. I didn't even realize Mm -hmm. it was him because I was thinking you know what's so funny. I somebody you know I said somebody told me John Boyega wasn't here. Which now it took me a second. I was like, oh wait, this is John Boyega. That's, uh-huh. Like that's pretty much what happened. Yeah. Um, it didn't even click that that was him until like a further into the movie. Not mm-hmm. too far, but enough to where I was like, oh wait, that is him. Um, he killed it. And I, to yeah. me, that's a mark of a good actor when I can't even mm-hmm. realize it's you. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Foxx is always great. So I mean, I think that's kind of a given. I wasn't as taken by Tiana Taylor, but I'm. It's hard. I think to be fair, her character. I, I, I that might have been what they meant for that character. I I have a thing about um, characters are supposed to be street characters that come off like they came out of Juilliard, and she kind of come came off. She was just too clean cut. She's too pretty. You know, she was too. Mm-hmm. The other girl that played the prostitute with the pink hair did a better job. I think she probably could have played that role a little bit better. I thought, but that might have, but that might have been what they wanted. You know what I mean? That might have been the purpose of Tiana's character. That might not. So I might that might be my own thing because I just felt like Tiana she was just too clean and beautiful for that role to be like this sort of street prostitute, streetwalker character. She didn't come off as a streetwalker to me. To, inter- to, to interject a little bit as we try to land this plane. What do you guys think about the comic, the comedic element to help tell this story and how necessary it was or not? Like, what did it do? What did it do for you in telling the story? Because like the the lead font, the lead actor, Fontaine's actor, he came off serious. And then when when your boy Jamie came into the scene a little they got a little bit levity came to the to the movie a little bit more and then they start like levity came into the movie towards the as it went towards the middle of it but it didn't kind of start off like that for me what do you guys think about the comic element of it I, I've always thought that 
black people have to laugh to keep from crying. I thought it was like that on Good Times. I thought it was like that on Sanford and Son. Two black men living in a junkyard. And you laugh at it, and you almost have to laugh at it because if you didn't, if you didn't laugh, you would, you probably would be crying, right? Because it's almost, it's almost sad to see people stuck in a system of racial caste, which is what the cloning program, I think, was all about. So I think that whatever comedy could come from that, I think, could only be a good thing and that's the symbol for the theater right you have a laughing face and you have a sad face and comedy and tragedy are two sides of the same coin the tragic and the comic when the tragic is so bad you laugh at it that's why everybody laughs when lucy moves the football when charlie goes to kick it right <laughs> he falls flat on his back because you feel so bad for him that you you laugh for him that's why we laughed at shows like good times and stuff like that so that that's my take on it i think sometimes we laugh to keep from crying i think comedy is essential in that way i thought it really helped the movie um i loved the transition with fontaine um because i think the transition sort of came when you started to realize that because i don't think i realized that he didn't smile or laugh until jamie fox pointed it out Mm-hmm. And um, when they were eating the chicken, mm-hmm. and but I, that was probably another scene that I really enjoyed. And that was the first scene I saw, um, because when you go to Netflix, that's like the promo scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what made me go, okay, maybe I actually, maybe I will be interested in watching this movie. So when I saw that scene, and I actually saw it in the context of the movie, um, I really liked it because it was like, yeah, he doesn't smile or laugh, and he's very serious. He's very angry. Um, and you're not even quite sure what's going on because you're mm-hmm. you're completely lost in the beginning of the movie. You're like, totally. what the hell is this guy totally. doing? What is happening? What is his problem? Mm-hmm. Why is there this little kid hanging mm-hmm. around? Like, what is this? What is happening? What's happening? <laughs> um, and so you this his emotional state sort of lends to your confusion, but when you're watching things play out and you kind of see as he's building connection with these characters and he's and he's figuring things out he kind of lightens up a bit you know what i mean i think you kind of lighten up but you don't really but i think you even kind of lighten up because you're watching all these funny things happen in the midst of all the seriousness happening right like we're being experimented on as a people but i agree with tim you have to laugh to keep from crying right like it's it's really effed up that you have this preacher saying this terrible things these terrible things are happening to these people in this church you can't pay a light bill you can't pay an electric bill your baby got shot but it's also hilarious because he's saying all this stuff and they're getting ready to get down to back that ass up right um (laughs) and then there's like what's the other scene when um he comes face to face with one of his adversaries in the in the uh, beauty salon. I mean, it's like all these things are happening that just are like they're not supposed to be funny, but it's so off. So you're kind of laughing, like, wait, this is sort of awkward. Right. So I think 
but so I but I, I tend to like that type of com that part I did like because I like that kind of comedy where it's dark but it's also confusing because you're also like <laughs> this is a bunch of bad stuff happening but it is sort of like what I think Tim said and I think that's sort of a black humor of you gotta laugh to keep them crying one of my favorite one of my so I have a love hate relationship with the Archie Bunker show what's the show called uh, Leave uh, all, all in the Family, family. Yeah, yeah, All yeah. in the Family I have a very love hate relationship with that show because it's a very racist show Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very yeah. insightful when it comes to how people, how white liberals look at racism and these kind of conversations. And there's an episode where the these guys are robbing the house. Uh, these black guys are robbing the bunker house, and uh, something happens, and they, they end up coming face to face with the robbers, and. While they're t- robbing the house, the black guys are basically they're armed, and they're crap. But the two robbers are cracking jokes about how hard their lives are. And um, Edith, the wife, she, the white wife, she's telling, she's asking, "How can you guys joke about this stuff? This this was terrible. Like this is like you guys basically have some really messed up lives. Like how can you laugh about this?" Mm-hmm. And they say exactly what Tim said. Like you know, lady, you gotta laugh to keep from crying. Like. It is hard, but we got to joke like this. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to survive. Hmm. You know, that's very powerful, Vita. Hey, you know what I got to say? And this is my last This is my last observation. I know we're going to, we're coming down. We're going to get out your living room, folks. We're going to let y'all go to bed and get some sleep. And we're going to clean up after ourselves. We're going to empty out. The, we're going to finish the wings and maybe leave some for y'all to, to, to munch on later. But I, I wanted to make this point, uh, which was for me, the most powerful scene in the movie shows you how systems of racial caste are completely dehumanizing. And it was the scene where you notice throughout the movie, the guy was in his house and he would look at the picture of his little brother on the fridge who had died in a shooting. He would see that. And then he would walk by the bedroom door and he would ask his mother if she needed anything. And she said, no, I don't need anything. I just went over so-and-so's house. I got me a plate. And he would say, okay, ma. And he got accustomed to doing that, Mm -hmm. right? And it's almost like he didn't even realize, and maybe maybe there's a subtle a subtle critique of technology here i don't know ai i don't know what it is but he took a recording of his mother's voice to actually be his mom and when he broke in this spoiler alert sorry did folks. he take it though or did some was that put with that was that placed there I, I, no i think it was put there but the point is he was in such a routine like he didn't even realize that it wasn't really her until he broke the door down and then he saw the tape recorder or the recording device and he just he just lost it and how did, from, why did he do ahead. it he started asking questions right he asked questions that's right that's right and so i yeah. thought that was that was a very well what happened was he needed her when because remember he's a clone so right. this is the this is his creators mother's mm-hmm. voice right mm-hmm. so remember because he's got this memory implanted so all he has is a memory mm-hmm. of a mother and a memory of a brother and all mm-hmm. these aren't real 
thing. So at the remember, right. he's, he's also a clone of a human. He's he a needs human. his mother. He need he needed yeah. somebody. And as a human, you need your mother, right? You need your yeah. parent. You need this yeah. other being. And mm. you know, as far as he knew, she was alive. Yeah. And yeah. just on the other side of a door, there's only just this one thing blocking him from his mother is this door. Yeah. Yeah. And he needed yeah. her. And I thought I thought that was such a sad scene. No, that oh, was yeah. very sad. Oh, yeah. That was very that, sad. I, that, and I knew it was brought, a recording. At yeah. that point, I think at that, I think at that point as a watcher, you're like, oh yeah, this is definitely not. Yeah. I mean <laughs> that 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 brought tears to my eyes, right? Because what science can do or can't do comes to cloning us, it, it can't I mean the the we're so complex as human beings. Our emotional needs are so deep and and they're so essential to who we are that there really is no substitute, right? That at some point, you, what you hear, the door is going to be broken down because human emotion demands connection. And I thought that scene showed just how badly human beings need connection. And, and, and it's a real deficiency or I think a short-sightedness of technology to think that you could clone a human being and that it would be any less of a human being. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that that whole thing, that whole scene, I, I need to watch that again and really think about that. But I just thought that was a very compelling scene for me in the movie. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, Vita and Jason, episode five one, I think, is in the books. Yeah, I yeah. think we it's time to land the plane, and we're gonna we're gonna come in. We could come come in for a smooth landing. Vita, as always, you are just spectacular. Everything you say is on point, and you lift our discussion and our dialogue to a higher level. And I can't tell you how how grateful Jason and I are that you consented to be with us today and to have this great conversation. We just really appreciate you and love you. And the Motown Philly family loves you too. I know they do. Because people be talking to me, Vita. They be like, Vita gonna be on this week? Vita gonna be on with y'all this week? I got homies in Philly like, yo man, where Vita at, man? Vita gonna be on there? I'll be like, yeah, Vita coming around. Vita gonna be back. Don't worry about it. So we we just appreciate you, Vita. Love you so much. Thanks for joining Thanks, us. Thanks, V. Thank you, guys. And I love you guys, too. Thank you. Yes, yes. Jay, where, uh, Vita, where can they find you? Girl, tell us where they can find you. Oh, well, you can find me at Lifestar Media on Twitter and on Champagne Sharks at ChampagneSharks.com. Jay, where you at, man? You guys can find me on Instagram. That's where I hang out at the speakers mechanic. You can also find me on LinkedIn for you professionals or you business owners who want to work on your communication skills and presentation, voice, all those things that help to make you better when it comes to your ability to speak to your audience. Listen, Tim, where in the world can they find you, bro? Y'all can find me on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at DRTJ Golden ESQ. And last but not least, you can find me on Facebook at Tim Golden. Three things in life are certain death taxes. And I guarantee you, I'm the only black man named Tim Golden in the rip roaring metropolis of Walla Walla, Washington. I can right. guarantee you that if you take that check to the bank, it ain't fitting the bounce. You finna cash it. Get your money. By the way, 
I had a really, really bad joke. And you know, I think, oh, I had a really bad joke I want to share just before we go up there. Oh, hey. I, I said, I said, where can they find you at? And it reminded me of this joke. So it's this the freshman on campus, he's new at Harvard, and he stopped a fellow student um, when he was walking on campus and said, can you tell me where the library is at? And the guy said to him, this is Harvard. We don't end, we don't end questions with prepositions. And he said, okay, where's the library at, jackass? <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. I thought that was funny. Oh, well, that's funny. I thought that was funny. Anyway, y'all, listen. I, I take Vita's silence as a as a vote of Vita, no you still there? Yeah, go. I had to mute it because I sneezed. But yeah, I actually heard that joke before, but it was a little bit more vulgar and a little bit. Yeah. It was a woman from New Orleans on an uh, airplane, and she asked the lady, "Hey, where are you from?" And the lady, the lady was like, "I'm from a place." From with which we do not end sentences with prepositions, and she says, "All right, well, where are you from at? Where are you? Uh, so where are you from, bitch?" <laughs> yo, listen, listen, yo. Speaking of comedy, we talk about comedy. We talk about jokes. I need to start working on my material, man. I might start doing a little, a little Motown Philly routine. Then, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that, y'all. Ooh, that's a good one though. Um favorite comedians. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, We talk about connection, community, and communication. That's probably the best way. Stand up comedy. That's I I definitely see that in our in our very near future. Uh I see us doing that and Vita, you are definitely gonna have to join us for that one. Please do. Listen, y'all. Motown Philly communication connection community next week it's one year solid in the books mm-hmm. 52 episodes wow. one year straight Jason I have to tell you and Vita I could not do this without y'all there's no way if I was doing a podcast people have encouraged me you should do podcast on your own that podcast would last about 10 minutes there's no way I would have the motivation to come on and do it this consistently were it not for you, Jason, and certainly Vita, you joining us and the the, the feedback you've given us and the tips, you, excuse me, the tips that you've given us. I'm sorry, I had to hiccup. Are you a little tip, brother. tipsy? Tim is nah, tipsy. It, <laughs> listen, <laughs> you see this? You see this thermos right here? Ain't nothing in here. But yo, Vita, Tim is backsliding over this mug. You know, <laughs> you know, he was running that one. And he finished, but he might be. I got me a little. I got me a little Chardonnay in the in the in the fridge chilling. We know the Chardonnay. No, but listen, y'all. We we love y'all. We got love for y'all. Y'all are dope. And Motown Philly next week will be one year. We're gonna have a special guest in August. We got special guests in September. Uh, We got some more really dope guests coming your way. So please stay in touch. Stay, stay in touch. Keep uploading and, and make sure you get those. Keep downloading uh, episodes. Get subscribed to our podcast. Make sure you get those upload notifications. Stay on board with us, y'all. We're not perfect. We're a work in progress, but we are always moving forward. Much love, and I do believe we are out of here, like Vladimir.
Peace. Peace.